0: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
1: the Hey
2: everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's Tuesday, February twenty-first, twenty twenty three. WCPTA twenty. The nation's largest progressive talk radio station, that is my home, and my home is also AM950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. We've got a lot to talk about today. We are just days away from the mayoral election here in Chicago. We hope that you are voting. It is the election season, as Kevin Lampe, who will be joining us in just a few minutes, has been telling us, you can now vote in all 50 wards. So, everybody, there is... An opportunity for you to vote right now. Last four years ago, at this time in the election cycle, not even 3,000 people have voted, but now more than 40,000 people have voted. It's an extraordinarily engaged uh, Chicago population. Voter turnout is extremely high, at least relatively speaking. So I want to know if you voted. Have you chosen anyone? Are still holding out about 20% of those likely voters? I uh, have not chosen a candidate yet, so call me at 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. We want to hear from you. I'm going to be talking with Paul Vallis, the former CEO of the Chicago Public School, engaged in education and in so many activities all around the country. Indeed, on all of the major polls, in all of the major polls, he is leading, leading, running on... Law and order. Many people are very concerned about crime, but when you talk to black and brown people, uh, the concerns are much broader. They're much deeper. But They connect crime to uh, a lot of intersectional issues, uh, a lack of educational opportunities, uh, not making enough money on your job, losing hope. We have a shrinking population of working people in Chicago, probably black people, and on and on and on it goes. Cannot wait to talk with him. And then talk with him about um, what some people are saying is, you know, look, um, this uh, law and order in Chicago is running on law and order at this time. Has, traditionally, it's like dog whistle politics, but... Perhaps he has another take on it. I'm sure that he does, so we cannot wait to hear from him. Of course, John Nichols will be talking to us about elections yesterday in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening up there. And, of course, Kitty Kurtz, Kevin Lampe, and Dwight McKee will be talking with us about uh, about what we should be looking for in the Chicago mayoral election. Dr. Shanina Knighton will talk with us about an explosion they had in Cleveland. Boy, oh, boy, we've had about six train derailments. Already this month, there's a lot going on, but everyone's looking at East Palestine. The EPA administration is on his way back there because people are sick and fish are dying and animals are dying. And if you go to the to the rivers, lakes and streams, uh, Pastor Thurston, there was a gentleman on Twitter who stuck a pole in it. He said, oh, this water looks pristine. And he started shaking the pole out in the river. And foam came up. I mean, it was like bubbling with a hot bubbling mess. Unbelievable. There is, it. This is some of the best farmland in the United States. It has been dis- it has been decimated. It's been destroyed. Ooh, let's talk about it on the Santita Jackson show, everybody. All right. 35 degrees will be the high in Chicago. It will be cloudy in Minneapolis, St. Paul. 19 degrees it will be snowy, but they're expecting a lot of snow up there in Minneapolis, St. Paul. 10 to 20 inches. We have a massive, a massive uh, weather front that is moving through. We're going to be talking about that in just a couple of minutes. In the NBA, the Golden Knights will be playing Chicago. Um, No, excuse me, that is in the NHL. And of course, you know, everybody's still relaxing from the NBA All Star. Yeah, my father was there and he had a ball. (laughs) The Kings will be playing the Wild. What else is going on? In the United States, President Biden has had a tremendous trip in Ukraine, everybody. He met President Zelensky yesterday reiterating U.S. support for Ukraine and announcing new military assistance and sanctions against Russia. Indeed, uh, Republicans and some Democrats uh, are pushing back against that assistance, particularly when you see a disaster like East Palestine, Ohio, and other places all around the country that need America's money. That's right. A major winter storm is set to impact millions across the United States this week, including Minneapolis, St. Paul. We're supposed to get rain here in Chicago, but snow just to the south of us. Heavy snow, dangerous winds, possible blizzard conditions, and for some of the coldest temperatures of the season, everybody. Snow and rain are already falling across the Pacific Northwest, adding to the region's already blockbuster snow season, praying for everybody everywhere. A magnitude 6.3 aftershock struck Southern Turkey on Monday, killing three people and injuring hundreds of others. Two weeks after a massive earthquake killed more than 46,000 people, and the numbers continue to mount. And so let us go to Pastor uh, Stephen Thurston, New Covenant, uh, Missionary Baptist Church, so excited about all that you are doing. Of course, you have uh, you have your book um, and of uh, Mirror moment, and then, of course, you have your Facebook Live where you're engaging a lot of people, really helping us get well. So, now, you moved the time of the Facebook Live, did you not, Pastor?
3: I did. I moved it to Friday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time.
2: Okay, okay, Friday at 3 p.m., Friday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Well, what is the good news today? You know, I need some, we all do, because we're about to the... <laughs> Crazy storm front and oh, there's just there's so much going on at all at one time. Help me, help me.
3: Yeah. Well, I want to cater today's good news to those listening men who fall in the categories of either people pleasers or recovering people pleasers. So if the shoe fits, I just need y'all to to wear it today, tied up and just run with it. <laughs> Listen, those individuals who regularly subvert their own needs for the needs of others, those individuals who spend years saying yes. When you really need no, signing up for commitments you'd rather avoid and occupying your mind with others' desires, yeah, I'm talking to you today. The problem with the condition of people-pleasing is that when you finally clear out the clutter, put yourself first, you look around at the empty space, bewildered with endless questions. What do I want? What does true happiness look like for me? What would a life lived on my own terms be like? For some of you, these questions provide anxiety because asking what you really want leads you to look fear straight in the eye. Fear being responsible for your own happiness. But this fear is both potent and entirely surmountable. If you're brave enough to connect with your innermost desires, When we strongly connect to our dreams and desires, we begin to set boundaries with other people so that we can reach them and slowly start finding the confidence to speak our truth. Our dreams and desires remind us how communicating authentically will actually change our lives and the lives of our loved ones for the better for this reason. Recovering people-pleasers need to reclaim their familiarity with their inner voice and innermost needs. You cannot communicate authentically with others if you can't communicate authentically with self first. And as you overcome your penchant for people-pleasing, here are a few helpful tricks to help you connect with your innermost self and uncover what you really want in all areas of your life. Number one, I want you to label your feelings. Many of us have become so attuned to the feelings of others that our own feelings are elusive strangers, entirely unrecognizable to us. But our feelings are critical guideposts as we learn how to prioritize our own needs and if we're able to identify and own them, life is going to be different. Notice the feelings that signal that you're moving towards something that excites you as well as those feelings that signal that something really isn't right for you or that you need to set boundaries with others. Number two, leave the system. Sometimes, Tita, our deepest desires are buried under layers of fear, particularly the fear of seeming selfish or the fear of disappointing others. One way to dig beneath the fear is to mentally remove ourselves from the systems of which we're a part. The reality is that previously unacknowledged desires can emerge when you extricate yourself from the pressure and the influences of the systems that we engage in. Number three, make a wish. Some of you have never given yourself permission to suspend reality if only for a moment to dream big. Making a wish allows you to dive into your dreams without stopping yourself with what ifs, how's and I could never do that. Once you speak your desires out loud, you can no longer ignore their truth, and you should be inspired to begin strategizing how to bring them into reality. Practice suspended reality to discover what you crave. Imagine that you could make a wish that would be instantly granted, or imagine that you could walk through a door and your ideal life waited on the other side. Fourth and finally, start small. If you've been in a habit of people-pleasing for a long time, it might be challenging to immediately identify your own big dreams. You may feel that you truly don't know what you want right now. And guess what? That's totally normal. Living your truth and communicating authentically are muscles. When you exercise them regularly, they become stronger with time. So give yourself permission to start small. Give your innermost time to surface. And by pursuing your small desires, you begin to learn to trust yourself. You begin to realize that you are fully capable of being your own advocate and building the life that you want and desire. I want you to pay special attention to how it feels to meet your needs. Be patient. With the passage of time, bigger dreams will make themselves known in your heart. Authentic communication is a two-way street. We must speak truthfully to ourselves before we can speak truthfully to others. And once we become familiar with what we really want, we can imagine a world where we replace old habits, like people-pleasing, with new visions for a brighter future. And so today's your day to pivot from people-pleasing.
2: killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song, telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly. I felt all flushed with fever, embarrassed by the crowd. I felt he found my letters and read each one out loud. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. It was the good news. (laughs) Oh, man. Boy, oh boy. You know what? That I think we have to understand that um, your religious training is supposed to help you to get better as a human being. You can't mm-hmm. just live so far up in the clouds that you can't do anything on earth. That's what this is for. Yes, thank ma'am. you so much for that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, when can we catch you on Facebook Live?
3: This Friday, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'll be talking about how to lead difficult people. So if you're in any form of leadership, you want it to tune on Friday, 3 p.m. Central so standard time.
2: How to lead difficult people?
3: Yes, ma'am. How to lead difficult
1: ooh.
2: people. Killing me. So Joyce is with me today. She said, come on, Santita, Killing me softly. Well, yeah. And I used to do the ooh, ah, to that, because I sang from the Black for several years. So there we go. Oh oh, 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 la, 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 la. Yeah, I did all of that. But
4: that
2: so much to me now. <gasps> Oh, love you, Pastor Stephen Thurston. Pastor Stephen Thurston, everybody. You know, we have got um, Dr. Shanita Knighton, one of the world's leading infection preventionists. Indeed, she leads epidemiologists and and infection preventionists as they come together to help resolve our health issues. And we need them now more than ever. Uh, Talk to me, because we're looking at what's happening in East Palestine, Ohio. We've had other... Other accidents where chemicals have been spilling over the past, you know, over the past month, not to that, not to this extent, because this that's happening in East Palestine, Ohio, is, is of such consequence and the corporate media are ignoring it. And so, so much more farmland has been destroyed. I hope they're not going to be planting anything in that because that's going to be a mess. But you said something happened in Cleveland and you wanted to talk about that today, Dr. Knighton.
5: Yes. So it's interesting. So um, Bedford, Ohio, which is like literally about about 15 minute commute, maybe 20 minute commute from my home. Like you actually had uh, more than a dozen injured and one killed an explosion at a metal manufacturing facility near Bedford. And so that occurred yesterday. And if you would have like literally seeing the rubble seen, you know, so much that was going on out there. The thing is we think about what occurs in the actual factory itself. But then we don't think what we don't think about is the debris. We don't think about the debris. We don't think about the smoke. So yes. As you think about the individuals that were injured, you're also thinking about the individuals that, long story short, are going to face the long-term consequences as a result of that. Unfortunately, you brought up something yesterday, Santita, that was interesting, key, but it holds true when we think about Palestine, when we think about a lot of the corporations and different things that Do not keep up with compliance. We think about, I think about the the twin city bridge, right? Where there was violations on that bridge and it never got repaired and look at what it ended up, you know, ended up happening. So it's that accountability factor that continues to be ignored. And because of that, the things that we tend to not think about because we think structurally someone is doing their job is the things that we have to worry more about today, more so than what we ever have. And so with that being said, it goes back to that conversation that we had where things infrastructurally can be set up in you know, centuries ago or could be more than a hundred years old. And there's no hope of repairing it. There's been no plan to repair it or we're still using old methodologies because someone doesn't want to make that investment in updating it. And so you look at those types of issues and you say to yourself, how close am I to a situation such as East Palestine? And I emphasize that if that is the case, Because everyone cannot move. Everyone cannot afford to Mm -hmm. find ways to get away from things. You know, when stuff like this happens, what should you have? It's making sure that if you can vacate, you have your emergency supply of medications um, that is packed up. It's making sure that you have something. Have things together, maybe a change of clothes if you need to just get up and go. It's making sure that you have water just in case you need to get up and go. And so sometimes we don't think about these things because we say ourselves that an accident is far away from us because it's not a natural disaster. But as we see with things blowing up and things happening, it's very well possible that it can happen to any of us.
2: You know, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, that's what that's why they call accidents. Or uh, well, certainly, they catch us by surprise. And so, you know, having your meds, having clothes, uh, even in your car, because you know, I remember we had a snowstorm here. Maybe it was ten years ago now, and it. I mean, cars were abandoned on now what is Dusable Lakeshore Drive, because the snowstorm became so intense. People got stuck in their cars. They just had to try and get home. They had to walk home. They had to leave their cars on, on the on the uh, the highway that is on our lakes on our lakefront but you know what think about it uh we have been, many of us were blessed to have insurance but insurance won't let you buy your medicine in advance you have to buy just enough for the month what do we do then you know i mean because you have to wait for that to kick in I, i'd love to have an extra supply i would but you know
5: Well, the thing is, Antita, it's like even if you don't have, like, let's say access to an extra supply, and let's say you're on your last couple of days worth of medications, right now, like I get it, everybody can't do a 90-day mail order. However, the thing is, is we have to think about what is most important and that is getting to somewhere safe. Once you get to somewhere safe, it is then having access to a phone. It's getting access to a computer or some sort of resource that you can reorder.
1: Okay. All
5: right. Dr. Shanina Knight and
2: everybody, her handle is she, Dr. Nina, H E Y D R N I N A. That's right. You're going to get some great advice just like this, because as she has pointed out, these accidents are happening all around us, and you need to be prepared. You need to have bottled water at home. You might not be able to use the water from the tap. You need to get your medicines. You need to have clothes packed and ready to go, just in case you have to leave. More on the Santita Jackson show, which Chicago probably may race. Just a few
1: minutes. We can change change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world.
0: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
1: War and hate To a place of love, it's not too late. Gotta save the children, we can't wait. Let's change the world.
2: Everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santina Jackson Show. we have Paul Vallis on with us, the former CEO of Chicago Public Schools. He is leading on all the major polls. And we have heightened interest in this mayoral race here in Chicago. Indeed, four years ago this time, not even 3,000 people had voted. Now more than 40,000 people have voted. That's right. People are very, very engaged in this. What does that mean? And what does it mean that in key south and west side neighborhoods that the engagement is not as strong. Yep, yep, according to the, a report from the tribe. And then there's new polling that shows that even as people talk about the fractures between the black and brown communities, that there is common ground on key issues among black and Latino voters in Chicago. There's a lot to talk about as we get prepared to talk uh, with Paul Vallis, who is leading in all of the major polling uh, around this race. But you've got something special coming up, Shapiro, just I guess in a week's
5: time. What's going on, Shapiro? Yes, Santita, we are having our our annual gala for the Courtney Copeland Memorial Foundation. That's going to be on March 3rd. 2023 at the JLM community center. So we're asking everyone to come out and support us because the money raised actually goes to support our programs, including our college scholarship fund. And so we can send kids to college. So, uh, please visit www.copelandmemorial.com. That's www.copelandmemorial.com to purchase your ticket. And if you cannot go yourself, please consider sponsoring a family member uh, for those who have lost a child to gun violence in Chicago. So that's www.copelandmemorial.com. Thank you so much, Santita. No, thank you very much. Thank you for the
2: wonderful work that you are doing. All right, everybody. We are, early voting is surging in Chicago um, in a real way. It's still lagging behind in key South and West side neighborhoods, though, according to the tribe. And then there's a report that is now surging in the black community that, uh, that is talking about Paul Vallis, his son, who was a police officer, he was involved. He was one of three police officers who uh, was involved in a fatal shooting um, of a young black man. Uh, but uh, it, it occurred in Texas, but um, it was found that young Mr. Vallis was not uh, did not pull the trigger was not involved in it. But you know, it's very important to, to address these issues because all this stuff is out here. You want to you want to um, allay people's fears, uh, put rumors to rest and establish fact as we establish the facts as they really are, as they are, as we go to into this election season. So we have got Kitty Kirk, uh one of the world's leading uh, political consultants, political organizers. She has done campaigns, not just in Chicago and throughout the United States, but all around the world. Brilliant. She and uh Kevin uh, Lampy, her husband. Uh, It's Kurt Lampy Worldwide. They consult with everybody. And, of course, Dwight McKee, uh, brilliant social scientist. So let's get right to it. Um, Dwight McKee, when you see the surging in uh in the vote. I mean, not even three thousand people had voted by this time four years ago, but now more than forty thousand people have voted. But there's still a lag in the vote on the south and west sides. What does that say to you?
6: Well it says to me that it may have give ballots uh a um one up um uh, Depending on the the, the uh, demographics of the area, you know Chicago is so segregated that within two blocks, it can be all white community. It crosses over to all Hispanic community. That crosses over to an all black, all black community, and so you you need a little more information to come to some real conclusions, but. Uh, intuitively, I see it may give give uh an advantage in these early runnings.
2: Mm. Kitty Curse, what do you see? I mean, because it's these numbers are pretty remarkable. Kitty Curse? yeah. Kitty Curse?
4: let's get let's get geeky for a minute. Um, Let's think about where the hottest contested aldermanic races are, and that's going to be one of the things really driving the turnout. And in two of the wards where Vallis probably has his highest turnout, um, Brendan Riley's ward, uh, the 42nd ward, And the second ward, Brian Hopkins' ward, both of those aldermen are supporting Dallas, but neither of those aldermen have any opposition. So are their constituents really going to be, you know, excited about coming out to the polls? Big question. Are they?
2: Mm-hmm. Are they? I mean, we're seeing, according to this report from the tribe, early voting began, of course, on January twenty sixth, but on all, in all fifty wards on the on the on the thirteenth of February, and they say with little more than a week to go until election day on February twenty eighth. Of course, your husband has said this is Kevin Lampe said this is election season, and that is true. Uh, early voting in Chicago high, is highest. Um, in the 19th and 41st 41st wards um, in the city's far southwest and northwest corners, and lowest in the 5th ward, my place in South Shore, and the 28th ward
4: on the south side.
2: What's about that?
4: The only thing that's surprising to me about that is that the 5th ward um, in the city a pretty uh, robust aldermanic race. I'm surprised the the vote isn't higher there. Um, the 19th ward is traditionally the highest turnout ward, um, along with, you know, the 14th and the 13th. But um, I think that there's a lot of voters like me that are thinking about it and thinking about it and going to make up their minds closer to the election. I was actually surprised to hear that early voting was up. Yeah, I'm, I'm,
2: Kitty Curse, I was absolutely shocked, and particularly when you look at what was going on four, four years ago. But then four years ago, it seems that, you know, it's like uh, our current mayor, mayor, Lori Lightfoot, came out of nowhere. When we saw her in the debate, she was so impressive that she won our vote. Do you think that's what's
4: happening now? I think people are weighing their choices. I think that a lot of people have been trying to wait and see, oh, is one of these nine candidates going to jump ahead? You know, can I can I support somebody that's unfortunately for Mayor Lightfoot? I think a lot of people are saying somebody that's not Mayor Lightfoot and somebody that is not Paul Ballas. You know, people are looking, is Chewy Garcia stronger this week? Is Brandon Johnson stronger this week? You know, who is out there that provides an electable acceptable second electable acceptable choice
2: hmm. kevin lampy what's your assessment of this landscape
0: well one thing to take into account is that you can vote at any location in the city for wherever you live in the city so if you're you know if you're you know if you live you know, in, in the fifth ward and you 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 work in the second ward, um, you can vote there. Um, so that that is a part of the situation where people can you know, they they vote where they want to vote, but they don't have to vote in the neighborhood. You can pick and choose, uh, you get a ballot based upon where you live as opposed to where you are voting. I think the other thing that we have is because there's been such emphasis on getting out to vote and protecting your right to vote from the in midterm elections just recently last November that people are even more motivated to show up, and I think we're seeing that in turnout around the city um, and then I think people are as, as Kitty was just saying they're thinking okay we, know we 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 can we can accept the fact that Paul Valles, with his dog whistle politics, has been able to motivate people to vote for him. who do we think is going to have the best chance of getting into the runoff and beating him. And I think there's a large percentage of voters that are still trying to decide who who is gonna be that person that they want to put into the runoff.
1: Hmm,
2: well, you know, we're talking with Kitty Kurth, Kevin Lamping, Dwight McKee about the Chicago mayoral race. At the top of the hour, we're going to be speaking with former Chicago Public School CEO uh, Paul Vallis about uh, he is the front runner in the race, according to all of the polls in this non-person field. But it's a dynamic race, everybody. It's a dynamic race. And your vote is really going to matter. Voting is open in all 50 wards. Please get out there and vote. The vote. voter turnout is quite high, relatively speaking. This time, four years ago, not even 3,000 people have voted. Now more than 40,000 people have voted. What do you think is driving people to the polls? Dwight McKee, I mean, what's driving people to the polls? I was shocked by the numbers. I mean, I was reading uh, Laura Washington's column. I think she just does fine, fine work. And I said, wait a minute, there's a surge? Because I don't feel a buzz out here, but I guess people are really interested in this race. They really, or somebody's interested, Dwight.
6: Well, I think one thing's these drivers the polls is there are more choices and there are more options. And so, you know, uh, they're really more customized to different constituencies and different bases. And so um, I think that that's helping drive people to the poll. I think that there's more, people have a more emotional commitment more and more exposure to the candidates. Last year at this time, nobody even knew who Laurie really knew who Laurie was the, the, the last campaign. Uh, and Willie was kind of just emerging, but in those last these last three, four years, I think Willie has been able to establish himself as a legitimate personality and create a legitimate attraction with uh, a certain amount of people that didn't really know him four or five years ago or didn't see him as a legitimate candidate four or five years ago. I think some of these younger guys is also creating a momentum and an interest. Uh, guys like like Green, who are running, who brings a new dynamic to the experience, uh, I think that that helped create some momentum that didn't exist four or five, four years ago in the last campaign because you really didn't have a high-profile, attract candidate like he and um, some other young black guys that's running now. And I think that chewing being involved creates a certain momentum himself because four years ago, he really wasn't in Congress when he didn't have the kind of track record that people could look at. And you didn't have as large of a Hispanic community and as engaging and expression. Spanish community as you do now. And so I think there are some factors that exist today that didn't exist four years ago.
2: Mm. Do you think, Kitty Curse, um, do you expect this trend to continue? I mean, first of all, are you surprised that voter turnout is as high as it is. Are you surprised about the interest in the campaign? Because, you know, at some point when you see all nine people, you just kind of, you almost can get paralyzed, you know, what the analysis analysis paralysis, it's, you know, it's like the system is just overloaded,
4: you know? Exactly. But remember, like I said earlier, there are also hotly contested aldermanic races in, you know, we have, what, 16 aldermen retiring this time? So there's a lot of open seats. There's a lot of excitement in the different wards about the aldermanic candidates. So I think that's driving a lot of it. And okay. I think, um, and just by the way, I'm going to go vote today because I'm going to be downtown. So thank you, Kevin Lampy, for reminding me that I can go vote anywhere <laughs> I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know you're having Mr. Vallis on later. And I think there are, you know, fundamental questions to ask him. He was the head of the public schools, but yet he seems like now he wants to destroy the public schools. I just, I don't understand when the key to, if he's so concerned about crime, he more than anyone should understand that preparing people to get jobs by getting them a good education is the most important first step in making our city prosper. Are you speaking of his track record
2: in Philadelphia? Uh,
4: That and the fact that he's, you know, he said he's going to support charter schools. Charter schools take money away from public schools. They take talent away from public schools. You know, my my parents went to Chicago public schools starting back in the 1930s and got amazing educations because we were investing in our public schools back then. And if we want to have a prosperous, healthy, happy, safe society, we need to invest in our students and in our public schools. Well, what about his
2: relationship with the police? Uh, you know, because qualified immunity is is really served as an issue. and you know, and then now something that's really becoming uh, that's circulating certainly in black social media is the fact that he his son was part of a three uh, person police team in in Texas where a young black man was fatally shot. Now he was not the shooter, and that was proved but it's something that people are talking about. Um,
4: what do you make of it? I think it's more than just that personal relationship. He's got to talk about, you know, we've got to talk about holding police accountable. Um, I think that, you know, not to name check J. Mal Green again, but I'm going to, you know, he said at the push at the rainbow push Mayoral forum, he said, you know, we, We, the taxpayers, shouldn't be held accountable when a cop exhibits bad behavior. The cops should be held accountable. And I know in Philadelphia, they're requiring policemen to have sort of a malpractice insurance like a lawyer would. And I think that we've got to look at how much money Chicago has paid out in settlements because of that bad behavior by a few bad cops. And we can't let that bankrupt our city. We've got to look at other ways. And I don't think Mr. Vallis even addressed that.
2: Well, so, uh, well, Kevin Lampe, I mean, police reform, uh, public schools. Uh, and of course, I'll bring in Dwight McKee shortly. But one of the other issues that you think that he should address i mean and of course as the front runner you take in the you take on the incoming fire but he's someone who's been prominent in our public in our public life and in our politics for decades now
0: i think it's it's, it's economic development i think it's investment in communities that have been underinvested over the years I think there is an opportunity for anybody running for mayor to lay out some positive things about what they can do to encourage small business. How about um, talking about the small business and relationship with City Hall? What is it like to go through the permitting process? What is it like through the inspection process what is it like um to be able to have a business on a day-to-day basis in the city that we can do to support those businesses as always the truth the smaller the business the greater opportunity there exists for more jobs and if we can be developing these businesses in our neighborhoods that create stability that create uh, sustainability these are the things that we need to be looking for and we need a mayor it is going to bring investment and it's going to bring housing, affordable housing, and be able to get our city back on the right track.
2: Do you think these are fair questions for all the candidates?
0: Absolutely. We need to be talking about everything. We have on, it, it's, it's, the whole issue of, of public safety is incredibly important, but there becomes a time in the election where it just turns into an echo chamber, where the media says, the, you know crime is the only issue, and then the voters start saying when they get polled crime is the only issue, and then we start to realize, well, wait, there's other things that need to be um, that need to be talked about, and we need to talk more about what is the root cause of crime, what is the root cause of being, uh, being unsecure. Um, you know, what is causing carjackings? Whereas what are these systemic problems that are creating some of these effects of, of crime? And we need to be focused on correcting the situation and providing the opportunities for people, um, that will help us to reduce crime in our city.
2: Okay. Dwight McKee, your thoughts, I mean, because I'm going to have Mr. Vallis on, um, shortly, but you know, as I've been talking to these other candidates, um, uh, Alderman Sawyer, Jamal Green, State Representative um, Cam Buckner. Uh, I'll be speaking with Willie Wilson uh, tomorrow, and Sophia King. And I'm reaching out to Chewy Garcia, the mayor, and um, and uh, I think I might just I, I am I just have three more to go. Brandon Johnson. Um, I mean, what 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 do you think should be on the tables uh, with Mister Vallis? in
6: particular, and just the candidates in general. Well, my question to him would be, since he's been such a law and order advocate, uh, what is it about him that is so appealing to the uh, Chicago Police Union? It's why they find him more attractive than do any other candidate and been so inclined to give him support and give him money. And what kind of comit- commitments that he made to them and what reciprocity does he expect for them? Uh mm-hmm. given their avid support of him against any other candidate. I'd be curious to know how that fleshes out because um, my suspicion is that many of the people who even those who are looking for more police protection and more uh, options in terms of security on the subways and, you know, in, in, in their communities, may be a little intimidated by his approach than to some of the other, other, other mayor candidates' approach, who also have that concern, but it is not as severe of a strategy and is not as willing to uh, concede so much territory and latitude to the Chicago Police Department. That would be one of the questions I ask him. And then I'd ask him like um M. said a minute ago, what behind what beyond police security is your strategy for reinvestment in the development of the different communities in Chicago? Do you have a strategy beyond, you know, uh, stopping and, and frisk to uh, really secure a different environment in the city? And you don't seem to have outlined that. Uh, include your position on education. Mm-hmm. which seems to be mildly inconsistent with your position when you were superintendent of schools. Uh, now you seem to be the superintendent of charter schools. So I would want to flesh that out with him.
2: Hmm. So, uh, look, I've got about literally two minutes before I have to go. Um, one minute for you, Kitty Kurth, and one minute for you, Kevin Lampy. One minute, Kitty Kurth.
4: Well, once again, Dwight McKee brought it home. Um, You know, just he's got to tell us what his real plan for the city is. He's got to tell us why he's running and why we should vote for him. And I think Mr. McKee is right on target. What's the quid pro quo that he's reached with the police that they're supporting him so strongly? Kevin Lampy
0: currently in the the Chicago Police Department um, we're feeling the effects of the the corruption of uh, Sergeant Ronald Watts. He led a crew of police officers that um, were basically shaking down people uh, in the city and falsely accusing them and then uh, improper um, and and false convictions of people that destroyed their lives. Hundreds of these people were victims of of Sergeant Watts and his uh, crew. But the problem is many members of that crew are still working desk duty. And this is because of the way that the structure is in order to relieve a police officer of his duties. And even when police officers speak out, there's such retaliation against them. His cozy relationship with FOP is problematic because they're fighting to keep these officers on the job when even the state's attorney won't let them testify in court, we need to change the culture within the Chicago Police Department and what can he do to stand up to fix that culture so that we have officers on the streets that we know and can trust.
2: Well, I mean, indeed, that will make us safe. You know, when people do not feel secure, that decreases safety. Dwight McKee, one minute for you before we go
6: yes i I think that that uh, they hit all of the key, key points I think that there's gonna be questions that are almost pertinent only to him because he seems to have a lock on uh, those communities on the um, the traditional democratic you know anti everybody but white so everybody but Irish everybody but Polish. He seems to have a lock on those daily constituencies that was. thought themselves to be the real only natural constituencies in the city and felt they had caught blunts to run the city uh, to the disadvantage of anybody else who was in the city. And so if he's going to go in that direction, it's going to be same old Bridgeport politics that we've spent so hard fighting against, that's going to mm-hmm. be problematic. And I think we need to question that out.
5: What Absolutely. In 2023,
2: 20, and 25. that's not going to work out of things. Back with Cole Ballas, former CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, leading candidate for mayor, right here on the Sanctuary Jackson Show on WCPG twenty and AM950 Radio. Back in a moment.
1: We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world.
0: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
2: Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's Tuesday, February 21st, 2023, election season here in Chicago. We've been able to vote since January 26th, but now you can vote in all 50 wards. There is no reason not to vote for mayor. I'm Sankita Jackson, coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. And, of course, you can meet my morning stars on the Sankita Jackson Show YouTube channel. They're joining us from all over the country, Los Angeles, New York, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Texas, Everybody's from everywhere. Memphis, I haven't forgotten about you, Ashley. And so, and of course, here in Chicago and Minneapolis, St. Paul, and, um, we have, we're honored to have Paul Ballast, he's a leading candidate, he's a leading in all of the polls here in the Chicago mayor's race. Uh, we want to talk with him about law and order, public schools, and so many things for which he has noted. He has been in public life for four decades at the very least, um, Serving and working, and now he is the leading candidate in a nine person field. We want to hear from him, and we're so honored that he cleared his schedule to be with us today on the Santita Jackson Show on Tuesday, February 21st, 2020 everybody. Uh seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight is my number. Wanna hear from you, but let's get to some of these headlines in Chicago. Thirty five degrees will be the high. It is cloudy and windy. <laughs> I can hear it right now. Minneapolis, St. Paul, nineteen degrees and so you're supposed to have snow getting up there today. Please be careful. All of my brothers and sisters up at AM nine fifty radio Dot com. And, of course, in the NHL, the Golden Knights will be facing off against Chicago, and the Kings will be facing off against the Wild. And so what is going on? President Biden is still President in Europe. Uh, of course, he was in Ukraine yesterday, shocking everybody. Thankfully, it was a good trip. He's going to be speaking in Poland. In fact, he should have spoken there already. He met with President Zelensky yesterday, reiterating America's support for Ukraine Giving hundreds of millions of more dollars, American dollars, to that fight. A major winter storm is set to impact millions across the United States this week with heavy snow, dangerous winds, possible blizzard conditions you hear me in Minneapolis, St. Paul? And for some, the coldest temperatures of the season. Please be careful, everybody. A magnitude 6.3 aftershock struck southern Turkey on Monday, killing three people, injuring hundreds of others, adding to a death toll between Turkey and Syria that is now past 46,000 people. God Bless them all. And the EPA Administrator Michael Regan, the nation's top environmental official, will visit East Palestine, Ohio today amid mounting reports of lashes, headaches, nausea, even melting skin. Never heard of that. And other symptoms that residents fear could be related to the February 3rd derailment of his car carrying the toxic chemicals which have now gone into the ground. So those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson show. Everybody, you know, we are looking at financial freedom here, and we want you to know that Team Hochberg is your trusted local lender. You should reach out to them if you're selling your home, if you're purchasing a new home and would like to save thousands of dollars. You need to call Team Hochberg, your trusted local lender. Team Hochberg is offering everyone something called their perks, at work benefit through the end of April, which can save you thousands of dollars. It can make you thousands of dollars when you buy your no your next home or sell the home that you're in. This is how it works. When a team Hockberg affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. That's thousands of dollars everybody. When a team Hockberg affiliated realtor helps you to purchase a home, you will receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost credit. Again, Thousands of dollars. Team Hawkberg will credit their loan origination fee, and their affiliated attorney will reduce his fee. Thousands of dollars, everybody. His or her fee, excuse me. A couple saved close to $9,000 being involved in this program, and that could be you. They sold their home. They purchased a new home. Working with Team Hockburg, they were able to make save really if you save it you're making it nine thousand dollars that could be you so go to team Hochberg. call them at eight five 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 six David eight five 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 six David tell them all about it they can help you go to five six Davidcom so you can read more extensively about the perks and work program of team Hochberg, your trusted local lender everybody I'm so honored to have this gentleman with us he's someone who's been with us for a long time indeed he was with former CEO. He was the CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, of which I am a proud graduate. That's right, John J. Persian School and Whitney Young Magnet High School, all the Jacksons went to public schools. We love public schools and absolutely support them. And so we're excited to have him. And as we are watching, the voter turnout surge, Mr. ballots all across uh, Chicago. This time four years ago, not even 3,000 people had voted. Now more than 40,000 people have voted. Kitty Kirk just told us in the previous segment we've got some key aldermanic races that are that could be driving the vote. I'm sure that's part of it. But there's also a very engaged electorate around these nine candidates who are bringing so much excitement to us. And one of the pers- the persons at the top of the heap at this time, uh, in according to all the polls, is Paul Ballas, the former CEO of the Chicago Public Schools. Saw you at Apostolic Church of uh, Church of God just the other week, and you warmly received it, one of the leading black churches in Chicago and, indeed, in the
7: nation. It's so wonderful to have you here with us today, Mr. Ballas. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. And I, I have to tell you, the forum was excellent. The questions, the pacing of the forum, the um, allowing us the ability to respond when uh, criticized, it was really, it was a very, very satisfying affair.
2: Well, you know, it's, of course, you know, being at the top of the heat, thing, you know how it works. You got to take the incoming fire. It's tough.
4: but.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you headed up the Chicago public school system, so I think you're ready. And you've headed up other public school systems. Let me just get right to it, because a lot of people are very sure. concerned, and I want to give you the opportunity to respond to, um, really, you've been very supportive of charter schools. And that is something that, um, for those people who are in regular uh, neighborhood public schools, and even selective public schools, it is, it's a little unsettling, more than a little unsettling, because... It is, you know, charter schools money come from the public schools and you have gone to Philadelphia. You've privatized some public school systems, I mean, schools in the public school systems. What about your support for public schools um, as you also support charter schools? What help me to find the balance here? Help me to understand how that is going to work if you become mayor. Well,
7: first of all, let me point out that that I haven't. Uh, privatized schools. In Philadelphia, we opened 14 charter schools. Most of them were alternative schools. Let's understand that charter schools are public schools. They're public not-for-profit schools. They're just not mandated to basically hire uh, the uh, union teachers. Now, they, the unions are authorized and empowered to organize teachers in charter schools, they're just not subject to the union contract. So, whether the charter schools are in Chicago or whether they're in Philadelphia or New Orleans, where we built an entire school system after Katrina, those are public not-for-profit schools, and the unions, in fact, unionize many of those schools. So, I just want to clear that up. Let me also. On, but, let me, but let me give you. Let me
2: give you this because this is this is the rub with, with charter schools. Uh, many people, including Charles Overtree, you know the famed uh, Harvard law law school uh, professor. Uh, you know, th- according to his research, that charter schools were really put in place behind the Brown v. Board of Education decision to upend uh, the the promise of board, the Brown v. Board of Education decision, which was to desegregate America's public schools. And charter schools do not produce the artists and the athletically gifted the way regular public schools do. And so there is, um, it's, and it's not an everybody in, nobody out formula. You know, more of us are expelled from these charter schools than we are from the regular public schools. So what about your support for the regular public schools? People want choices, but people also need to make sure that their neighborhood public school gets the support that that it needs, Mr. Bauer. Yeah,
7: well, well, let me point out once again that charter schools actually nationally are outperforming traditional public schools. And and they're certainly outperforming the schools, uh, the traditional public schools in Chicago. Let me point out that the most recent data shows that, uh, for example, black children are are computing at 6% of the national average and Hispanic children at 12% of the national average. Uh, And in reading... Uh, black children are at 11% and Hispanic children are 17%. So the bottom line is clearly the traditional public schools are certainly not delivering and many charter schools are struggling too. But, you know, let me again say, and this is what I've always said is um, children, about 90% of the children are, are going to continue to be educated in traditional public schools. And I have always supported traditional public schools in, even in Chicago, uh, I, we opened 15 charter schools and we had 558 schools. Later on, Arnie Duncan, uh, who eventually became President Obama's education secretary, did Renaissance 2010 and opened many more charter schools. So we limited the number of charter schools that we opened. And these really became schools of choice, particularly for children, low income children, particularly and overwhelmingly for black and Latino children. Ninety six percent of the children who go to charter schools in Chicago, and these are schools that they elect to go to, are black and Latino. And and I think I pointed it out at the forum that, that the union has, has forced the district to not allow those charter schools to occupy public buildings. So you'll have public buildings that are near empty, or this or the fifty schools that were closed by Ron Emanuel, and the charter schools, the public school children who attend charter schools are denied the opportunity to enroll to, to use those buildings, despite the fact that they're public buildings. So, I mean, if that wasn't a civil rights violation, I don't know what is. But let me get back to your question about what I will do and what I did for the Chicago public schools. Um, when during my tenure and Gary Chico's tenure, he was my board president, uh, we actually we actually <laughs> opened and built more traditional public schools than charter schools. We actually opened 30 traditional public schools, including uh, building all the magnets uh, with the exception of Whitney Young and Lane Tech, Walter Payton, Mm -hmm. Northside College, Glennon Brooks, uh, the rebuilding of Lindblom, the Bronzeville Military Academy, uh, not to mention building the new Simeon High School, the New Westinghouse High School. We, in effect, uh, built far more public schools than we ever uh, approved charter schools. We also built 48 additions, and the reason was because our enrollment uh, in, in in the last 40 years, the only time the schools have enrollment has grown, um, was during the the six years. That we were running the school system, our enrollment uh, grew by almost forty thousand, and it was because we were not only opening schools on time and keeping campuses open through the dinner hour, on weekends, over the summers, bringing community-based organizations into the schools so that they could offer activities uh, and offering work studies. But we also had, uh, you know, two consecutive uh, uh, contracts negotiated on time that gave teachers a twenty-one percent pay increase, and we were, and we were expanding quality public school choices, putting international baccalaureate programs in neighborhood schools. Bill Clinton called us a national model. Of course, Obama, when he ran for president, talked about his successes uh, at, at, when he was heading to our, the public education fund uh, for the Chicago public schools. And, of course, Arnie Duncan, who had run the schools, became his education secretary. So I'll compare my record to anyone Uh, The record of uh, academic improvement, the school we built, of the 78 schools we built and the 350 we renovated, 55% of all of our contracts were awarded to black and Latino companies and 50% of those hired to do the construction were black and Latino. Doris Davenport from PUSH actually was very instrumental in our designing our MBWB program. Of course, Reverend Jackson knows that well because we had so many vendor fairs and job fairs that uh, were co-sponsored with the district. So that's my record. Some people want to blame me for things that they disagreed with with um, Arnie Duncan, or maybe they want to blame me for things that they disagreed with with Ron Emanuel. But, you know, by the time those guys are running the schools, I'm in New Orleans. Well, you know, but this is for, for me, this is
2: not about blaming. This is about really uh, and shaming. This is about getting the record clear. And as someone who's gone to public schools, as you know, from someone, I mean, my parents have five kids. We've all gone to public schools um, and spent my brothers and my sisters spent very relatively little time in private schools and they went away because our parents essentially moved to Washington when Reverend Jackson ran for president. That hasn't been said. Uh, there is a pledge that, that I went K-12 through 12 and was a merit scholar. And so I really believe in public education, and I know that when the intentionality is there, when it's there— we can have great neighborhood schools. I went to a neighborhood school, and then I went to Whitney Young, which was the first school of its kind in Chicago. Just ultimately, before I get to any other questions that I have, other questions that I have for you, is there a pledge that you can give us uh, or some guarantee a plan, a plan, a plan to really shore up our public schools, and put the kind of resources in our neighborhood public schools that we have in the Payton's and the Whitney Young's and the Northside Preps and the Lindblom's and on and on and on. Because, you know, we have a lot of children who have a lot of different gifts, but they're not well served uh, because the intentionality of serving these kids is just not there, Mr. Ballast.
7: Well, do I have time to give uh, to give it a long answer? Or do you want me to wait for break? I don't want to cut into Well, that.
2: you know what? I, you know, I plan to bring you to the bottom of the arrow, but you know what? This is such an engaging conversation and people right, so right. engaged with you. No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to keep you. I, if you don't mind. Okay. I, I will do. Yeah, I'll good. keep you. No, so, no, no, not yet. I'm no, up. I don't have a break yet. Uh-huh. I have it at the
7: oh, 29. Great, great. 29. All right. So let me but, respond. Sandra, you, so let me re- But okay. Your response. Yeah. So let me respond. And this is something I've articulated. I put out as part of my education plan. I mean, my approach will be what I did in the 90s when the public schools dramatically uh, improved and where we were, in fact, putting magnet programs in dozens and dozens of high schools and feeder schools. Uh, I have basically said uh, we're going to do five things. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to radically decentralize the district so we can push the money down to the local school level. Because right now, only about 60% of the $30,000 per child that the schools spend uh, actually find its way into the neighborhood schools. At the end of the day, the central office bureaucracy, the privatized, Aramard and Sodexo, the centrally managed programs, they stifle. They cut off so much of the money, and we need to push the money down to the local schools and let the principals and the local school councils decide. That will allow all the schools to have considerably more resources, to have more staff, to have more programs if they like to do so. Secondly, we're going to open the school campuses to the community. We're going to restore the concept of community schools, inviting park district programs, states-based programs, community-based programs to be brought to the local school campuses. These, um, there are so many community-based programs that are just looking to use the, city, the schools to access the site. And, you know, why is, why is uh, Gwendolyn Brooks, uh, a, a school I built, On the south south side, just as I built the other magnets with the exception of Whitney Young, why aren't those schools open to the dinner or on weekends uh, over the holidays? I mean, uh, we built 125 campus parks. Why are those campus parks closed? in the evening. So if we can restore our community, our schools as community schools open to the community and offering an array of services, then obviously that will make the schools more attractive and beneficial. The third thing I'm going to do is something that I did under Craig Williams. And you recall, he's my director of high school programs. We're going to restore work study programs. That means we're going to get every city agency department uh, contractors, unions who have contracts with the city, uh, companies that get, uh, that are provided with uh, incentives by the city, we're going to have them offer work-study jobs and paid work-study internships so we can connect uh, children to the vocations. We can connect them to the trades. We can have them be participate in paid internships with the first responders, the police and the fire. These are things that we did for tens of thousands of children in the 90s, which is why our dropout rate significantly was significantly reduced. And then the fourth thing that we're going to do is we're going to expand the alternative schools network. Uh, most of the charters that I, I, I have opened, both in Chicago and in Philadelphia, were alternative schools for students who had dropped out, who had been incarcerated and been released. If you recall, in Chicago, the Youth Connection Charter School Uh, with its its community campuses was the largest charter that we opened. The same thing in Philadelphia, because we have have tens of thousands of former students, 18 to 21, 22 years old, who will not be returning to high school, who have been lost to the system, who are on the street, not working, no occupational training skills, and we need to reclaim them. Youth Connection Charter Schools, which only enrolls, Young people have been incarcerated or have dropped out. They graduate 1,200 a year. They've graduated 2,000 students since that school network was created. So those are things that I will do. Those are things that I will do to ensure that all the schools have the resources they need. One final thing, too, is... I'll work with the community to let the community and the local school councils determine whether or not they want their curriculum to be more Latino-centric or more afrocentric and what type of what I refer to as school-based magnet programs. They want to bring to their schools, because when we opened uh, uh, the additional magnet schools like Northside College, Walter Payton, and Gwendolyn Brooks, we also also put international baccalaureate programs in Morgan Park and in Prosser and in Von Steuben and in Taft and, Hamilton, and, and And I actually put IB programs in Austin and in Collins, which, of course, Um, You know, uh, during the Duncan years, they disinvested in and I'm I'm, I'm never I'm never quite be sure why. But the bottom line here is those are the policies that are going to restore the public schools and ensure that the public schools are offering quality educational choices. Also, because you would
2: open up these vocational education and expand it once more. Uh, You'd be working with, that would also mean that you'd be working with the unions, which have traditionally locked black and Latino, but particularly black people out. Uh, How would would you, I mean, yes, so I mean, you will be, you will have to take them on Mr. Ballas. I'm going to keep you, I'm going to keep you with us. Okay. Um, I've not done this with any other candidate, but you are leading and you have got people engaged. I want everyone to call in. Mama D has called in. I want all of you to call in. He said that he would take calls, and so he's a man of his word. Call us at 773-763-9278. 773-763-9278. Let's hear. Let's talk with uh, Paul Vallis. He could become the mayor. Uh, There are other people who could become mayor, but he is at the top of the polls, and he's been engaged with us now for decades. And so let's clear the record, let's clear the air, let's find out what he plans to do for you. Got to talk about the police when we come back on the Santita Jackson show. So glad that he's with us today. So glad that you are too. But I want you to call in. Call in, Chaperl. Call in, Stanley. Call in. 773- 763-9278. Ask him your questions. You have this opportunity to do it right now on the Santita Jackson show. Back in just a moment.
0: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
1: Gotta save the children, we can't wait. Let's change the world. I am
2: breathing. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. You know, typically I keep the mayoral candidate 30 minutes, but you are so engaged and you are so, um, you have so many questions of Paul Ballas, so as you would have of someone who's been in public life this long who's been in public service this long. So we're going to keep him. He said he opened up his schedule for really for a couple of hours for So however long you call in and want to ask, ask these questions, uh, Mr. Ballas and I will be here. You have that pledge. Uh, he wanted to respond though to my query about the trades because you know, that is something that, uh, young black and Brown entrepreneurs when they're trying to get city contracts, The permit process, the application process is just absolutely onerous. I mean, it's, it just, it's discouraging. And, um, and it, and it really locks people out. And by diminishing vocational education in Chicago, in in the public school system here, not just around the country, but specifically here, we have locked out a lot of people who are vocationally gifted. And they can't get in the trades, but we have uh, Eastern Europeans who are trained in their home countries. They come in and they're able to go right into the trades because they have the training. But you have all of these people here who um, who just don't have access, and they also do not get into these unions. So my question for you... Uh, just, I need you to speak to that, and then I have another question. And then I've got to release you to the callers because they want to speak with you, Mr. Ballas. But okay. what about vocational education? What about these? What about the unions? How are we going to open this up and get these jobs to black and brown people?
7: Great, great. So let me tell you what we did with our capital plan, because this is a model for what we can be now, what the city can be now with its $28 billion in spending. Um, we took all the school construction projects out of a public building commission uh, that has a- always awarded its contracts based on politics. And we managed the, the school construction program separately. It, it, um, it came to $3.2 billion Seventy eight buildings. The majority of those buildings were built on the south and west sides. We also replaced all the prefab schools, schools like the priest with brick and mortar schools. We built a new Simeon, and Gwendolyn Brooks. Anyway, long story short, uh, we set goals, 50 percent minority contracting, 50 percent minority hiring. And we exceeded those goals. Fifty five percent of all the contracts went to minority and women-owned businesses, 58% of all the hiring was done was minorities. And let me tell you, first of all, how we got that much work into the hands of minority businesses. We removed the obstacles for them getting bonding and for them getting uh, getting the permitting because we, we insured them. We provided them with the bonding. They didn't have to go to Near North Insurance. They didn't have to go to, uh, you know, and, you know, some of the big... Uh, bonding entities uh, that they had struggled uh, to get bonding from in the past. And we bonded them whether they had that past experience or not. So we were able to bond and insure all those companies, which meant they could then bid on work. We then also did something else. We entered into a project labor agreement with the unions, and we basically, which permitted uh, black companies to bring, hire their own workers, whether they were union or not. It was, the only condition was that we pay, per, we pay prevailing wage. And, of course, the contracts that we gave to our contractors gave them enough money to pay prevailing wage and to provide benefits. And it was the first project labor agreement ever negotiated in the city history. You could ask Dennis Gannon, who at the time was president. Of the uh, you know of, of the uh, labor coalition, so we were able to do that on a massive scale. We also did target marketing uh, only to black companies, and we also did what you're permitted to do by law. And obviously, we also set forty percent minority hiring goals when it came to bond business, when it came to professional services. So that is something that can be done. That can be something that can be done on a massive scale. No one has come close to doing that anywhere in the country. Black Contracts United, I think it was Joe Williams did this extensive store, uh, study of, of the program and the successes of that program. And when, when it comes to the unions, look, our approach was to basically, basically tell unions that we had negotiated with or had contracts with that they, in effect, had to take our students and had to uh, n- n- not only, first of all, uh, allow black companies and Latino companies to hire their workers, whether they're a union or not, as long as we paid them prevailing wage, but also to take our students and to put them in their training programs, and we, in effect, mm-hmm. subsidized that. So we were able to enroll our students directly in their training programs, 150, 399. So many of these unions have their own training programs. So that's something that has worked in the past with great success. That can work in the future.
2: So this is a pathway into the unions because, of course, being part of the union gives you certain benefits, pension, health care, and all of that, But ultimately... Okay. Well, let me move on because I want I've got my line to people want to speak with you. But I want to ask you about your relationship with Well, first of all, you're running and many people now see you as the law and order candidate. You're going to make Chicago safe. And yet in the when you go to the black and brown communities and absolutely, I mean and it has a particular resonance in the black communities when we hear law and order, it is unsettling to us because law and order has always meant that we get hurt. At the very least. And so I want to know about your why is it that the FOP's endorsement of you is so robust? What have you offered the FOP that other candidates have not? Is is it a sense of comfort? Is it is it programming? Is it is it protection?
7: Please talk to us about that. Yeah, you know. Well, first of all, not only am I endorsed by the FOP, I'm endorsed by the Sergeants Association too, and I, I think it's because I was able to come in and finally get that contract that had long evaded a uh, past marriage done. As you know, the police had not had a contract in five years, and police officers have been leaving at a, at the pace of a thousand a year, and they were twenty five hundred additional police officers that were prepared to leave. Uh, that were prepared to resign, and there are already 1,700 officers down, and and the police are so short. Last year, there were 400,000 high priority 911 calls that came in for which there was not a car available, including 32,000 assaults in progress. So I was able to not only negotiate an eight-year contract with the city, and Santita, I did it for free. I refused to take any money. Uh, they donated the money to a children's charity, but I was not only able to do the work for free, not only get them in at your contract, but that contract included all the accountability provisions that the advocates, the, the police reform advocates were demanding. The sergeants had agreed to accountability provisions that were approved by the city council and those same accountability provisions were extended to the police contract. So, you know, I I, I have the support of the rank-and-file police officers. The union leadership only endorsed the candidates that are endorsed by the rank-and-file. So I like to say that I have the rank-and-file support of police officers.
2: Well, not to interrupt you, but you know... My back is against you all the time. But just beyond even the rank and file, what about qualified immunity? Because the rank and file don't support that. But that's something that increasingly uh, the majority of the community, they want qualified immunity. Do you support it? If so, why do you do? Why do you support it? If not, why not?
7: Well, do I, uh, do I have enough time to explain what qualified immunity is? It's important that you understand yes. what qualified immunity qualify. Mm-hmm. Right what qualified, what qualified immunity basically says is that uh, you know if, if somebody is is injured despite the fact that you have really done nothing wrong and it has not been intentional, et cetera, that officer or any public official can be accepted uh, can, can be uh, protected. Uh, it's, police officers can be sued personally, but judges have to make that determination. So anybody who intentionally violates the law or does not follow rules. Can in fact be sued permanently, but qualified immunity is designed to basically say if you're acting in good faith, if you're following the rules, if you're acting right, if you're acting intent, you know, with uh, with no intent to harm, and there is in an, an effect harm you can be protected. It, it, it will, for example, somebody... But, that's about, but Mr. Alice, that's about that, that part of that application of qualified immunity,
2: no one disagrees with. We're talking about when police officers hurt, harm, and kill citizens. Not, I mean, not, Tyree Nichols, that's Memphis. But here in Chicago, we're talking, that's what we're talking about. In the black community, I know we call the police more than anybody else, but we also get killed and harmed more than anybody else. We want to know. Given the fact that the city has paid hundreds of millions of dollars in compensation on behalf of police who have been guilty, because we now have the the man who killed Laquan McDonald, he is he is he is coming out. I mean, this is a This is a kid who was killed, and there's so many who've been killed, who've been harmed. That, that's not the application of qualified immunity that we're talking about. We're talking about people who broke the law and who stood under the cover of blue and they harm other police officers because other police officers then, Mr. Vallis, do not trust it. And Tantita,
7: Tantita, what I'm saying is you can sue. When somebody intentionally harms someone, you can sue them personally. Mm-hmm. The reason they don't sue them personally is because the city has deeper pockets, So, you know, so if you wanted to sue someone who deliberately and intentionally hurt someone, you can't do that. Qualified immunity only protects someone when they have acted in good faith, when they have acted with no intent to harm. And there are consequences. For example, uh, if you eliminated qualified immunity, if someone got arrested, if, if the police arrested somebody for committing what they thought was a crime, and that person was arrested, but then not charged by the state's attorney, that person could go around and sue the police officer for arresting them personally because they were eliminated from qualified immunity. If you got rid of qualified immunity, for example, uh, say you got rid of qualified immunity for the state's attorney, that means that the state's attorney did not charge someone from a, for a crime or put somebody out on felony bail, and then that person went out and shot somebody, that family, uh, the victim's family, could then sh- sue the state's attorney. So we have to understand well, what think, we're talking about.
2: Well, do you think oh, behavior would change if 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 there was if if police were on the hook for some of these fees? Because now they they still don't feel it. We John Burge was able to go to Florida and chill. <laughs> After all of the things that he did that were so out of order. I do want to get to the callers, but I do want you to be able to respond to that, Mr. Ballast.
7: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, my response is officers can't be sued personally. But people sue the city because the city's deeper pockets. So there's nothing that protects uh, someone who has deliberately broken the law from getting sued and getting sued personally. Uh, In fact, getting sued civilly. So at the end of the day, qualified immunity is only intended to protect somebody who has has done no wrong intentionally, has intentionally done nothing wrong there, acting in good faith. That's what qualified. That's why it's called qualified immunity. It's not blanket immunity. It's qualified immunity. Look, I have a zero tolerance fo- policy for police misconduct. I've always had a zero tolerance policy. And if you remember four years ago, I was very outspoken on on the issue, on the Laquan McDonald issue. I was very outspoken. I was very critical of the police department. I was, I was highly critical. Uh, and I, I, I've been consistent, but qualified immunity is just that. It's qualified immunity. It's not complete well, immunity. So nice. And but, but, but beyond qualified immunity people are now calling for
2: some personal accountability from the police that is to say do you think that behavior would change just very quickly because i do want you to be able to speak to your potential voters do you think behavior would change if pensions and if some kind of personal um some kind of personal penalty were tied to behavior there's a woman who was sitting in her apartment minding her own business And the police broke down her door. She wasn't dressed. Oh, my goodness. And no one even thought to let her put her clothes on. I mean, Mr. Vallis, somebody's got to, I can't as a taxpayer just dig in my pockets and pay for people who do things that they know are wrong. Think that they would not allow to have happened
7: to their wives, to their husbands,
2: their partners, their children.
7: Well, you know, Santita, my support for the police getting a raise, my support for uh, for a contract that included all the accountability provisions that were in the sergeant's contract—the provisions that were designed, that were called for by the advocates—getting that into the contract with very little debate. When they have been trying to, they have been trying to get a contract consummated for years. You know, I I I think that reflects my only, you know, my recognition that. You know, police need to be compensated. Police need to have a contract uh, and police need to have financial stability, but also that there needs to be accountability. All the accountability provisions that were being demanded were included in that contract. And they were included in that contract because I basically said when I got involved in the negotiations by invitation, and I think the city's negotiating team, headed by Jim Francis, who had negotiated all my contracts when I worked for the city as budget director at the schools, uh, they, were, they were glad to see me on board. I think what I was able to achieve was to get that contract done and to get the accountability provisions that you're referring to incorporated into that contract. And I was successful uh, at doing that where others had failed. Well, you know, I think that they need
2: it There needs to be a contract, not beyond the social contract between the police and the people, because even with that, the distrust and mistrust is there, and that means that they cannot do their jobs. I don't feel protected, and it's a problem, and it's something that if you become mayor, you're going to have to wrestle with it. But let me go to Mama D. Mama D. You've been holding Mama D. very quickly because you know I'm up against the clock, but I want you to make your question give, him me your question, a comment in about a minute.
5: Hallelujah. Greetings. Uh, Mr. Ballas, you've run for mayor before, and and you were once the superintendent of schools, you're familiar with the 1980 consent decree that the city entered into and then fought against it for 23 years before it was dismissed. Presently the police is under a consent decree. They are less
2: than 70% in compliance. They've been given more money and Uh, A three-year extension. Would you address that and officers under
5: sanctuary status serving as police?
7: Yeah, you know, I didn't hear the last thing you said. Let me talk to the consent agreement. I fully support the consent agreement, and 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 my public safety plan, which which really focuses on, you know, um, uh, you know, professionalizing the police leadership, getting the right supervision in place, because right now you can't have thirty officers supervised by one sergeant and sometimes no sergeant. You need to, the consent decree talks about the supervisory ratio. So officers to be monitored, uh, but you know, uh, you know, but uh, the continuous tra- training, the redundant training, the need to make sure that you have beat officers who are familiar with the community and who know the community. I mean, the provisions of the consent decree are sound and those are provisions that I would enforce. Now, the mayor's claiming that she has, implemented 80% of the consent decree. I think most of the candidates running point out that that's not the case. But I support the consent decree, and and nothing in that contract is inconsistent with the consent decree. In, In fact, the accountability provisions in that contract are very consistent and aligned with the consent decree. So I support the full implementation of the consent decree. I always have. You didn't address the 1980
2: consent decree that the city. Thank you, thank you. Got it. Okay, Al from Rosemont. Al, you there? Then let me go to Gregory from Rogers Park. Gregory. Hello. This is Al. This is
8: Al from Rosemont.
2: Okay, Al. What's on your mind, hon?
8: Uh, I just want to say, uh, uh, we love you, Santita, and happy uh, Fat Tuesday. Uh, I also want to say to uh, Paul Ballas, you know, I I appreciate the specifics on school and community, and I I appreciate the specifics on all the other topics. Um, um, My only question is: uh, Is there any plan to address like the narcotics inside of this city? That's fueling all of this drama. Yeah,
7: let me tell you just two things. I lost my youngest son to uh, long-term drug addictions. I think the the, the the reason I probably went to Haiti 50 times because he, he was with me uh, was because the only time he was clean, believe it or not, was when he was in Haiti and we'd be back. And then two weeks later, he disappeared and he'd be on the street, and we have to go searching for him and things like that. So, not only do we need to restore the mental health centers, in fact, every single police district, every area served by a police district needs to have a mental health center that, with in calls and out calls, but we also need um, opioid and drug addiction centers and crisis counseling centers in each of the communities. So, the police. They have networks, social service networks that they can refer to. So I believe that extraordinarily, uh, 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 because uh, you know, I will tell you this: the uh, we had all the resources uh, that uh, that we could provide for our children, and there are so many families that lack resources. There are so many single mothers raising children. You have a child with drug addictions, and we weren't able to save our son despite all of our resources. And, we I, we can just imagine the pain and suffering for families that do not have access. So, yes, I, I, support, I support that. And I also support the more aggressive decriminalization of individuals uh, uh, for narcotic offenses. You know, we say we've done it, but have we really, really done it? So at the end of the day, uh, drug addiction is a health problem. And we have to focus and address it as a health issue. Let
2: me go to Gregory. Thank you so much, Al. Gregory from Rogers Park. Very quickly, Gregory.
8: Uh, good morning, Mr. Mr. Valence. I have been dealing with trying to get the cars to yield to me as a pedestrian in a plain crosswalk, with which we have thousands to help the pedestrian make their way across our vast city on and off for 63 years. People pine for the day where the culture will shift. And when I moved. California, Nigeria and California, I saw where it can be worse and better. And in the Western states, they have the culture of seeing and yielding to pedestrians and I'm proposing expansion of the Evanston red flag program where you can pick up a red flag in the container and march across the street to show the cars it's your turn to increase visibility of people who then can put small petite people at night or what have you. It's just a frustration. And we have 25 fatalities, 900 serious injuries, 3,000 strikes a year against pedestrians and it's incumbent upon everybody to make the city more civil and law abiding. The driving culture is out of control. I came back okay. as an adult wheelchair taxi driver, and I see 300 movie violations or a day, 10,000 a month. Please help okay. us. Um,
7: okay. Yeah, correct. Right. yes Yeah, Cynthia, uh, you know, if your, call, if, your caller, if your caller could leave his number, I'll be more than happy to reach out to him to try to get more information. And um, and, okay. and uh, you know, yeah, that would be great. Uh, obviously, people who want to reach me can reach me at paulvalles 2023com dot com. Paulvalles2023 dot com. But if the caller can leave his name and number, I'll be more than happy to give him a call just to get more information on that on that issue. And obviously, you know, put it on my list. So I, a lot of people have been telling me a lot of things, things like that. You know, individual issues or concerns. So I, I put together a book, and then I'm going to have to then I'm going to have to go back to um, uh, uh, God willing, if I'm successful.
2: Stay with me because I I still have some calls who'd like to speak with you. Um, my show is about to end, at least on WCPT, but we're still on we're still on uh, we're still on Facebook, we're still on YouTube. But I want to ask you this question. I've got two minutes left yeah. here. And just and certainly, I'm hoping that you'll be able to stay with me beyond here. Yes, uh, you have lost a son. You have lost a son. You have experienced something that you know. My parents said it's just, just against the natural order of things to have to bury a child. So you, you know, and your wife have experienced the most painful event, the most painful event that any human being could experience. What? Ha- how has that shaped you? And your candidacy, how has that shaped you and your family? How has that shaped you, Mr.
7: Ballas? I've got two minutes for you. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's uh, you know, I think my wife has suffered much more than I have because I've had so many things to preoccupy me. But you know, but uh, you know, I think him having gone through his long-term drug addictions, it it really really made me uh, appreciate even more those families uh, who do not have the resources. I mean, you know, my son and his friends they used to steal from each other's homes. And of course, you know, we protected our children. We didn't arrest our children, but but that's what they did. He would steal from his friend's uh, house, and his friends would steal from my mother. You know, uh, from my wife. You know, they, and 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 it, it made me appreciate uh, just what a struggle it is in poor communities that do not have access to the resources and support that we have. And, and that's probably the deepest. The deepest, uh, you know, the deepest impact. But I'll tell you one more thing. It, it's made me motivated to continue to serve because I feel that I have more to do. I feel obligated that I have more to do because God gave me this gift. And somehow, in some cases, I think I think I lost it. Well, Even if you spent your time with your child and you lose a child, you feel you feel that, in part, you were responsible. There's something that you did or that you failed to do that resulted in that outcome. And I think that's probably motivated me to continue in public service
2: and to to relate to parents because people are struggling out here it's clear you have you know as my father often says there is a lot of private pain in public life which people just never know and um blessing to you just so stay right here mr Vallis, because i have some people who want to ask some questions of you Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. stay right here we're talking with paul Vallis. I'm saying goodbye to WCPT and AM 950 Radio, but stay right here on the Santita Jackson and Friends page on Facebook and on the YouTube channel, The Santita Jackson Show. Love you, everybody. God bless.